Hey, 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 welcome to the Melrose Place podcast where we rewatch, recap, and analyze every single episode of the hit 90s TV series Melrose Place. I'm Jenny Hill. I'm Dan Hill. Let's get it started. Episode 19, the last episode of Disc 5, Boxing Sydney, air date February 6th, 1995. And by the title, I thought we were in for like Fight Club Sydney. I wish. Like she joined like some sort of like dog eat dog <laughs> Fight survival <Club>. of the fittest. <laughs> like that's yeah. what Martinism really is. Now put on these gloves and box Ricky. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not what we got. But let's get into this. We start with a cold open where Amanda is sitting in her office at D&D. She's on the phone and Michael Mancini barges in. And he gets the straight up Amanda treatment. And she's like, why don't you leave as rudely as you entered? Don't say goodbye. (laughs) He's like, take it the fuck easy. Yeah. Michael is very insistent that they need to pursue treatment for Amanda's cancer. Yeah. He's like, look, let's get a second opinion on it. Like, All right. Your biopsy really kind of confirmed it. You have cancer. We need to start treatment. And she's not buying it. She just says, you're trying to scare me. And he thinks, says, no, I thought that the biopsy would actually scare you. Yeah, I'm not trying to scare you, lady. I'm telling you, you need treatment. thought the biopsy would, would scare you. And he's like, why don't you use that fucking bitchy attitude of yours and use it to fight the cancer? He's got a good point. Great point. Spoken like, I love Dr. Michael Mancini. I love how he's like strong. No BS. No bullshit. Like, he's ready to just get to the point. Yeah. He doesn't need to sugarcoat things. This is like Dr. Mancini is season one M- Mancini. Like delivering babies, having successful <laughs> surgeries, like really in there, like fighting. Yeah. Fighting for the patient. Like I like that guy. I really do. So that, then we get the credits. Amanda's sort of there stunned like, hmm. Maybe I should. Yeah, having second thoughts on her approach. Yeah, so we we get through the credits. We kick it off to Wilshire Memorial, and there's an in-locker shot. Getting creative. Very creative. Yeah, so the camera is positioned inside Kimberly's locker, looking out at her as she's applying lipstick. Right, and Matt rolls up. And it looks, and so Matt is sort of, he's come to the realization that Oh, I get it. You had me beat up so that you could change your psycho test. And I love Kimberly's approach here. She tries to play it so cool. And she says, oh, welcome back, Matt. You know, you really shouldn't exert yourself. Those ribs are going to take a long time to heal. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love her. <laughs> Me I too. I love her, man. She's great. So like you said, he's getting wise and he's like, look, I know the reason that you had me beat up was so that you could have that extra time to change the records yourself. I'm looking here and it says that you work well with others, that you have a great bedside manner and lots of other descriptive things that would make her be a good doctor yeah. on her cycle evaluation, which is definitely not the results that her test had found to be and he's he's kind of like how'd you do it and she says oh it was about as easy as changing uh blood alcohol levels (laughs) and then he's got like that's the one thing she's got on him that like he did this awful thing and he's like you fucking bitch like i did that to save your man yeah so they have a little spat there and he says you know what? Somehow, some way, I'm going to get you, Kimberly, and you won't be able to practice medicine anywhere. And but and even before that, like he 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 says some like some thing to her about like how you'd be burying hatchets and devil's food. Is that was that a line to like say that Michael would be in jail and you would be like trying to send him things to like break out of jail with? You know, I think that's exactly what that means, but that totally went over my head when watching this. Yeah, he. he I was like, I don't know what the hell. Like, may, I thought he was maybe making some comment on her being a homemaker and having her like deceitful, devilish tendencies. But I thought, yeah, I thought it was like no. That makes I would way go, more sense. Like you go visit the the <laughs> visit the prison and like and make out. And you like slip in, a key like, to him. Like yeah. I think that that's exactly what that meant. Okay, cool. Uh, good on you, Dan. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, and and so they they have this exchange, and Kimberly just like looks at Matt, and she's like, "Matt, you're pathetic." And then Matt fires back with, "Your wig is crooked." But he says it <laughs> like he's searching for like like you're. He's gonna call her something else. Like you're. Uh, you're a terrible person. But then as he's looking at her, he realizes that her wig is crooked. Yeah. And then he just smirks and it's walks It's more off. like a little observation, like, ha gotcha. But, but he had something different in the holster that he was going to fire sure, at her. But he's yeah. just like, oh, your wig is crooked. And that shakes her. She's like, oh, oh man, really? And she like runs back to her mirror to check it. And I... I thought we were past the wig. You know, I thought this was like regular hair. A couple now. months later, and that wig is looks very authentic. And yeah, <laughs> if that's a wig, man. That's a great wig. And anyone, if you are a doctor or EMT or or an expert in hair loss and hair retrieval, <laughs> is that can, what they call it? <laughs> hair regrowth. Like, would, could you explain to us how a car accident? And surgery would stop the growth of hair. I think it was just really short because they had to shave her head in order to make the incision and do the Mm -hmm. operation to her brain. Yeah. But I think like after a while it would grow back as usual. Yeah. And it's been like a year, right? It's been a very long time. She's fully recovered. I think it's been a year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's so, definitely been more than eight weeks. Maybe it's a choice. Maybe she's just choosing to continue to wear the wig. The wig is her. <laughs> the wig is part of her. It's her alter ego. So she goes back to her locker, looks at her hair 
her real hair again and like make sure that it's straight and she's pissed. But I love Matt versus Kimberly. It's, it's great. Amazing. It's fun because they're they're like matched, their wits are matched. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. And they just they people usually back down or are kind of scared of Kimberly, not Matt. Yeah, he gives it to her. Cuz Matt's the law. Matt's the law around there. <laughs> At the hospital. Now let's hang out with Ricky and Sydney. They are waiting on the outside of Melrose Place. And (laughs) Sydney makes a comment. She's like, gosh, how long is it going to take till they get here? And Ricky says, if you knew you were going on an incredible journey where you would achieve spiritual enlightenment, wouldn't you just wait forever? No. (laughs) No, you philosophical bitch. He's like, uh, can I at least have a sandwich, please? Yeah. Will there be sandwiches? Uh, Rick, yeah, this, this doesn't make much sense. And, and so Sydney believes that, that this is a resort. Well, okay. So we learned throughout this conversation that they're going to be going on a retreat for Martinism. And so right. they're out there. I guess they're waiting to be picked up. Jane comes on the scene, and it's. I'm always astounded at how Jane treats Sydney after Sydney has. Well, she thinks Sydney has done some unforgivable stuff to her. Yeah, she she like, comes out. She thinks that Sydney has just destroyed her entire new collection. Yet she comes out and greets her with a friendly smile. Sydney, where are you going? She's like, where are you going? No, I think it was more inquisitive than that. She was like, where are you going? I mean, I just don't under... I just feel like if I were Jane, I would just like cut her out of my life. Well, like, she, she's like, you can't go anywhere. You don't have any money. You have to meet with your parole officer and you've got to own up to to destroying shooters and my and Mancini Design. Yeah, she does say that, but I'm just like, why even care? Yeah, you, so and you, you know think what? you would just write her I off. I think Ricky was kind of in the right here. Because Ricky, she says all that stuff to mm-hmm. Sydney, and then Ricky kind of like chuckles. And then Jane turns her attention to Ricky and says, oh, you think this is funny? And Ricky says, yes, I do, actually. I think it's funny that you're trying to control Sydney's life when your life is in shambles right now. Mm. And I'm kind of like, you know what? You are a crazy, soulless, dead-eyed bitch, but <laughs> you do have a good point. Like, yes, you may think that Sydney has perpetrated some unforgivable things to you, but you do have a lot going on in your life. You should just worry about yourself. Well, it's interesting that you saw that scene like that, and I saw it as as Jane coming in there, being mad at her and saying, oh, no, you're not leaving because you have to, you have to sort out the uh, Mancini designs. I think it kind like, of. I saw shows her as being like, "You're not going anywhere because the cops got to deal with your ass." Not like, "Hey, where are you going?" I thought it was more like of caring concern. Like, we're not going to get you. Like, because she says we're not going to bail you out of this this time. You, the only way to get right is if you go to your like parole officer. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? And I thought that meant like go to your PO, own up to these crimes, and start working it out. It's I don't funny know. how you we can watch the same show and get two totally th- yeah. <laughs> different things out of it. But isn't it? I like uh, Josie Bissett looks so much taller than I usually 
picture her in this scene too. Really? There's a shot of her and Ricky sitting down and she's talking to Sydney and like she's like a head taller than than uh Laura Layton. Maybe she's got those cool platforms on Maybe. that were really big in the nineties. So um Sydney's basically like, look, I'm rolling out and as she says that this bus shows up. And <laughs> you took a lot of issue with this bus. Uh, if this bus rolled up near you guys, call the police. It's probably like a 1960s yellow school bus. It looked like it had been through a demolition derby. But the thing, it was a little dirty, a little worse a for little? the wear. Yeah. It was like weathered, like They're military going to grade. It from the, the desert, Dan. What do you expect? It was in a war. It looked like a dressed up bus for like Burning Man. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> this shit, like, look at this thing. Like, it's an art installation on wheels. It says Abbott Way. Is that Martin's last name? Yeah, his his name is Martin Abbott. So this is this is his Martin bus. <laughs> this is the bus. This is the one. This is the first impression of like people trying to better their lives is hop on this <laughs> dirty, crusty, like don't rub the metal on this bus because you will get tetanus bus. <laughs> I guess that's it. And Jane You're just of looks humble people. Okay? Jane Jane looks on in like sorrow <laughs> she's like oh dear christ and then like course, this is your ride sydney has to fire back to her by saying you know what you need to take ownership and worry about your own responsibilities jane Be like okay well I, if i was jane I'd be like all right well it is my responsibility sydney to uh to profusely tell you to not get on this bus because you will die. This is a death bus. <laughs> Look at this thing. It is like, it is absolutely fucked. Dan, it's just dirty. It just needs to go through a car wash. And it just, I want a like spinoff show about just this bus. <laughs> like where is Magic's this? Magic's dirty school bus. <laughs> like, how many, how many trips has this bus taken? Where is it gone? How did it get so dirty? Oh my gosh. Who's the driver? Like, I'm very interested in this bus. Wow. I I, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't you believe. still can't. Like, we've been on that street. Like, that's not a big street. This, this bus, like, stopped. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've hammered the point home. Man. The, the bus, you do not approve of it. What a bus. Okay, so next scene, we are with Matt and his police officer friend who is looking into the case. John Rawlings, played by Tom Shanley. He's known for Hawaii Five O, the new one, Dexter, Criminal Minds, and Get the Gringo. Whoa, I'm not familiar with that last title get the gringo yep i think uh mel gibson's in that okay yeah. well they're out to lunch together and it's very apparent that matt is treating this as a professional lunch and they're talking about matt's case matt reveals to john that there is somebody at the hospital who he feels has orchestrated the attack on him and that person is kimberly shaw and he he takes note. He's, he writes it down. He's like, okay, well, we got to go after this. And Matt's like, eh, this bitch crazy. Yeah, I think that, you know, I need to finish it, like, sort that out myself. Please don't look into it. He gets up to leave, and then John is like, well, at least finish your lunch. And Matt's like, 
okay, like I'm just meeting you to talk about my case. And then the John, John, the police officer goes, well, just look at the silver lining. There's one good thing that's come out of this. And he's like, um, yeah, what? I got my ass kicked. Like, what's good about this? We, we met each other. <laughs> Matt's like looking at him like, what are you talking about? He's like, look, I just got out of a long-term relationship. I'm not looking to jump back into anything. I'm flattered, but, you know, I'm just like, want to keep this, you know, just kind of professional. John says, oh, well, I have the best uh, I have the worst timing. Like my luck is the worst timing ever. Yeah. And then Matt gets up to leave and the expression on John's face is like, he is, he's very upset. Like he looks like he, he's angry. Yeah. Like he wants to take some anger out on somebody. And you know what I hate about this just in general? What? Is that, Anytime there is another gay person, it's like they're they're a couple. Exactly. It's like just because the what, fact that he's gay that they have to be coupled up in some way. Yeah, like the no no gay person can live in the Melrose Place universe without talking to Matt about it. Like being in a relationship with Matt. Yeah. Like can't two two gay people just exist? And, and they're not, not have romantic not, <laughs> feelings toward each other. Yeah, I I agree. I it's think stupid. it's stupid. Yeah. And then there's always this proclamation of like, "Well, I'm, I'm gay. I am also gay." <laughs> now we go to lunch, <laughs> and yeah, it's like, okay, let's let's give let's throw them the gay storyline. Oh, yep, send them to lunch. That like, how many lunches, gay lunches, do we have to have? Damn, this ain't the first. It's not going to be the last. Jesus, man, just like. Come on. Well, I guess there was there was a gay guy who didn't have to be gay, who did, wasn't gay with Matt on the show. Can yeah. you can you remember? Ooh. I'm checking the annals of my brain. Oh, wait. No, I'm totally wrong. I was like, Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> no. Chaz, Chaz was questionable. Uh, I was going to say... Billy's best man, but he hooked up with yeah, Matt. Yeah, he kissed Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So any anyone gay has gone through Matt <laughs> on this show. Okay. Never mind. So, Dan, your magic dirty school bus pulls up to the final destination. Yeah, a straight up David Koresh compound. <laughs> Ricky hops off of the bus and exclaims, Utopia! Yeah, there's like, there's this big camp, like stone fire. There's a big ditch with water in it. There's like seven tents. It's, and when you say tables. tent, it's like, one stick and just like fabric draped over that stick. We are in a desolate desert. Everything is dead and brown. There is no civilization or any structures of any kind. And, and this is where me and Jenny live. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, okay. It's definitely Santa Clarita. They, fil- they filmed Melrose Place in Santa Clarita, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And it is a desert. And where we live, it's very built up. There's a lot of nice landscaping. They water the the, the flowers on the grass. Yeah. But if we didn't have that landscaping with the flowers there on the grass, there would be tumbleweeds blowing around. It would just around. be a desert. So there are definitely places out here that look like this, and they're definitely that's where they they filmed it for yeah. sure. 
So people start getting off of the the magic death bus, <laughs> and uh, Ricky just exclaims like, "Utopia, welcome!" And of course, Sydney gets off of the bus, and she's had a completely different idea of what she's going to be expecting. She looks around and says, <laughs> um, "This does not look like a resort, Ricky." Yeah, this and- is this is a girl who's come coming off. Being with Chris Marchette in Vegas, getting chocolate-covered strawberries. In the lap of luxury. Getting dresses. Showered with jewels. Yeah, just... Having the in-room massage therapy sessions. I mean, Sydney was a straight-up pimp, like, living that life. And now she is living in the desert. Now now she's slumdog millionaire. So she's not feeling it. And then Martin like comes out of his little cell and there's this like weird guy. You guys got to watch this scene again. There's this kid who is just like in like he will kill himself yeah, no, for he, Martin. He's, <laughs> he's any, supposed to be Martin's bodyguard. Because, this guy? Yeah. Yes. Because if you watch future scenes, there's always like a weird dude hanging outside. Like, okay, we have to mention Martin is the fortunate one that has like a trailer. Yes. It's like a, it's the only actual like structure Mm -hmm. in this area. Everybody else is sleeping in like literal, just like, and when it's not like, it's just like a piece of fabric. Like medical World War II tent. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly like this is not like oh rei like buy a tent that's like an apartment yeah no this is like a fucking a great stick stick and fabric like my leg got blown off <laughs> please calderize the wound <laughs> okay so martin has this like trailer with a lot of wood paneling inside and he comes out and there is the his bodyguard that has been guarding the door and dan took a lot of issue with this guy god he like his posture is like i mean god bless him he really gave it all to to this character but he really like gravitated towards martin as he walks out in his Jordache jeans and his fucking <laughs> when <laughs> when Martin walks out, he does like bow his head like irre- like reverently, like oh hello Martin. <laughs> yeah, and he's like oh hey gang, how'd you enjoy your bus ride? Yeah, so people start filing out of the bus, and Martin starts delegating people to jobs. He's like you, John, why don't you start getting things set up? And Donnie, why don't you go make some breakfast? <laughs> and okay. <laughs> Here's my question, Jenny. Are all of the people who are off the bus, are they all like level Sydney? And, or are they all like, is it a mix of like a couple are level Sydney and a couple are like Ricky's? I'm the- <laughs> like Ricky, Ricky input. Cause I, Donnie is clearly on another been, level. She's been here a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> so what he so told she's Donnie. She's been here before. <laughs> She tells Donnie to go make breakfast. Donnie walks like it's so these camera shots. This this episode were a lot different. I'm, mm-hmm. I would be curious to know the director. And I think that it would probably be a different director than what we've seen in other episodes. Yeah, the camera angles are way more creative. They're very creative. So he orders this girl Donnie to go start breakfast. God and Donnie her. 
walks like toward the camera as if she's about to go on stage for a burlesque show. Yeah. She has like a scarf that she like like takes and like puts over her shoulder and she's walking like she's come hither. Yeah. She's struck. <laughs> and I think like she knows where she's going. She's done this before. She mm-hmm. knows where breakfast is. John knows how to get stuff set up. I think Sydney is maybe one of a few that just haven't done like, it before. They're the first this? timers. Now Donnie is played by Betsy Lynn George. And on IMDB, the poor girl, like her name is Donnie on the show, but she her character is a cult member. And she she was in Point Break. She was a surfer girl. And uh, Lois and Clark. And she wins the scene. She wins this. Oh, she's definitely the, the, the person that I think of when I think about this yeah. scene. She makes every bit of her screen time count. And yeah. So Martin looks she's at like, Ricky. All right, set up my death camp. <laughs> Martin looks at Ricky and Sydney and he's like... Oh, can you smell that fresh air? I feel my soul begin to soar. And of course, like Sydney's not buying this. She's looking around. She's very skeptical. She's like, are there even bathrooms here? Yeah. She says, where's the hot tub? (laughs) And we learn that there's an outhouse and there's not a hot tub. And, and, And Ricky is just like, but you will need that sunscreen because we'll be working outside a lot. And, you know, this is the point of it, Sid. We're trying to get rid of the trappings of everyday life. It's about paring down your material things and then really thinking about what life is like and what it has to be like when you let go of your responsibilities. And it's like, bitch, you're a waitress and you have a stealing problem. She also says, well, at least this is a, she says it, this is a lot better than the last retreat. We weren't even allowed to talk to each other, (laughs) which is, we couldn't even speak. We had to communicate with our brains. (laughs) Well, you had a real tough time then, huh, Ricky? You had a real tough time. Okay, let's go back to Melrose Place where Joe and Jake are hanging out around the pool. What is happening? Dan. How many times has Jake had that dumb bike of his in the courtyard? 30. So many times. And so many people have told him not to do it. I even know it's not a good idea. And Joe, like, how much footage of Jake (laughs) working on bikes do you have at this point? honestly, Joe is the one that's like, no, I don't want to be in a relationship. I don't don't want to start anything serious. Oh, Jake, I don't think it's good that we start start anything. But But Jake, hold this monkey wrench (laughs) and, like, work on your bike a little bit. But Jake, I'm making a scrapbook for my baby and every page is going to be you. <laughs> I don't even understand it. Like if you're making a scrapbook for your baby, I get it. You want to have a couple of your friends in there. But this is like full primarily spread. Jake. Like in, full spread. in other scenes, she's like, I need pictures of you for the baby. It's weird. It's weird. Very weird. And so they're taking pictures. They're kind of like still talking about Austin, which... That, my prediction is not correct. I thought that we wouldn't hear a peep about Austin again. Mm, it's yeah. done. But they're still talking about it. There's still some, like, residual feelings kid, about everything. When you adopt a baby, does the name travel? Or can you, re, <laughs> do you reset that? Because I mean, <laughs> this kid has three names <laughs> I, at this point. I don't know. Michael Jr., Austin, 
And I'm I'm assuming like if you adopted a baby that young, you'd want to put your own name on it. Well, it depends. I think it's it has to do with the age. And if a baby's eight weeks old and really doesn't understand their name, I think that you could certainly go in and say, "This name is Benjamin." Yeah, and they wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't. They know. wouldn't know. Yeah. So as they're like having this little photo shoot and talking, Amanda comes in and she is livid. Oh, man. And she's like, Jake, how many times have I had to tell you not to keep your bike by the pool? There is grease and oil everywhere and you can't clean that up. Cancer makes Amanda so crabby. But Dan, like again, I took Ricky's side before. I'm taking Amanda's side here too. Oh, come on. Dan. They weren't even working on the bike. He's working on the seat. It's all good. No, it's not all good because your bike can leak. I'm like, it's a she's hazard like, to have that. Like it is inches away from the pool. And she's like, you can't get oil out. It's like, they're not working on the motor or any oil. I don't know. I'm with Amanda. I'm like, why? Why does the bike have to be there? Why? And she's like, remedial English, Jake, never is about as plain as I can get. And, and, then, um, and then Joe's like, oh, come on, Amanda. If you look, you're going to see, oh, Joe, when are you going to drop this little mother hen routine? Fucked up. She just gave up her, her child. She's no mother. And then you just throw that at her. Like, stop trying to be mother hen. You don't got kids. That is kind of jerky to it's say. It's messed up. So she, she goes upstairs, and they're just like, oh, my God. Like, what's wrong with her? Yeah, she, Ama- checks, she checks her messages and um, it's a doctor. Dr. Sanchez asking Amanda to call him. He's going to be working late. She dials his phone number and he says, look, I'm looking at the scans that Dr. Mancini sent to me and the biopsy results and I concur. I yeah. concur with Dr. Mancini. This does look positive. I think it's a really good idea for you to get set up with an oncologist. Dr. Sanchez is played by Armando Molina, and he's known for, he was Hector on Desperate Housewives. Um, He was Paper Hanger number one on NYPD Blue. He was Herman on Knott's Landing, and Raul Ruiz on Fresh Off the Boat. What's a paper hanger? Um, Well, that's a police show, so I would assume is like, Maybe some guy like putting up like cork board shit. <laughs> like, here's the suspect. And he's just like hanging the paper. Okay. You know? Okay, so now we're at D&D where Allison is in Amanda's office. They're talking about a client. And, of course, Amanda is just kind of like giving Allison just... All of this grief. Over- how how can they have such a disagreement of how a th- something went all of the time? It's all the time. Like um, Allison is always like, "That went amazing. That was horrible. <laughs> Slipshod work, and I would never put my name or D and D's name on it ever again. You better get back to the drawing board." And then Am- Allison's like, "Oh, okay." So you have to imagine like um, Allison's taking all of this in and then like retooling. What she's done. And it's still the same result every time. And she still has a job and D&D is still relatively okay. And every meeting we see them at, Allison wows the client. And Amanda is just always like, it's bad. No. 
Absolutely well, not. Well, I think they've... I think Amanda deep down wants to ruin D&D. Well, I think she wants to ruin Allison. I think that she hates Allison, and no matter what, even if Allison is doing a good job, she's going to refute that. Yeah. So Michael calls D&D, and Amanda immediately is like, don't call me at work. Well, no, first, he calls D&D. The secretary patches in and says, I have Michael Mancini on the line. Now, Allison Mm. is still in Amanda's office, and she says, well, I thought I was in charge of the Mancini Designs account. Why is Michael calling you? Which I'm kind of like, look, if Amanda's your superior, like, why are you questioning this? But it's just to show that, like, she has no idea about... Amanda's medical issues and she's right. thinking that of course it has to do with the account and Amanda's like well now you're not so and wow. she covers she's like well you need you would need so much more help in other departments I'm gonna take this on now leave my office yeah so Allison leaves and then of course Amanda wants to be discreet so she tells Michael don't call me here anymore like I don't want anybody to know that I have any health issues. And Michael's like, yeah, 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 shut up. Uh, you got to test at once, so get your ass in here. Cancer doesn't stop for lunch. Let's go. <laughs> chip, chip. Yeah. Let's do this. So on the way out, uh, <laughs> Amanda runs into Billy, and Billy says, hey, I made an appointment with Mr. Stewart and you for 2 p.m. this afternoon, and Amanda bites his head off, too. Like, I'm not going to be back in time. What would think that you would have the authorization to make an appointment for me? And he's like, I'm, uh, I talked to your secretary. So what should I tell him? And she says, tell, tell him me. you're an idiot. Tell him you're an idiot. And then, like, <gasps> Billy, again, just eats it. Just, like, shrugs his shoulder, like, well, I it, guess I am an idiot. Seriously, though, if Billy wasn't such a little bitch, like... Amanda would get smacked, I think. Like, if, if she was saying that to somebody else over and over and over again, she would get smacked at work. I just don't know how Billy and Allison continue to work at D&D. It's just such a toxic work environment. Well, Allison sort of touches on it. She's like, if I didn't work here, D&D would fall to the ground. Who cares? So she thinks, so I, like... By her saying that, I think that she thinks that she needs to be there. She's saving the company. Well, yeah, we'll get into that scene. But for now, Amanda's going to the hospital where she's getting a CAT scan done. Mm -hmm. So she's in her hospital gown, and Michael Mancini is there waiting to assist in conducting the CAT scan. And she looks like a lost puppy dog in in her... um, what do you call those? Her hospital gown. Yeah, the and hospital her little, gown, and then she had little, little booties purse. on. Yeah, she's like, well, what? Where do I go? What do I do? And I think this scene was meant to illustrate her being out of her element, her being scared. She's a character that's usually always in control of every situation, and this cancer business. She's not in control of it. It's very unpredictable. She doesn't know what to expect or how to handle it. So Mm -hmm. she needs a lot of help. And Michael is very forceful and aggressive with her. Because he knows. He's like, look, I know how to deal with these types of people. He's like, on the table. Let's go. But, I mean, if anybody were watching his conduct here, he would be in deep trouble well yes but then it's like manhandling her like lay down but she's like "Uh -uh, i'm leaving this is inhumane what do you mean it's a cat scan how is it inhumane and so he's he's like look you're you're nuts 
He like picks her up, throw, puts her on the table. He does. And then she tries to get up off the table. He slams her back down. And I think she likes this. She's into it. Well, I think he's asserting his dominance and really playing the role of like, look, I'm going to be in control in this aspect of your life. You lay down, you do what I tell you to do. And I think she needs that kind of guidance. So she accepts it. Yeah. She's like, excuse me. She liked it when Jake was rough with her. And she always, of course. I don't like bruises. She has to say, did you learn this technique in med school or dating? (laughs) Just like put, put that in. Yeah, she she's down. So she gets the CAT scan, and then we cut over to the retreat, quote-unquote, retreat. Oh, God. The concentration camp in the desert. Martin is currently telling a fucking horror story. Okay, let me recap for you. <laughs> I was seven. My brother was nine. We snuck mom's car out of the driveway, and we started driving down the road. He was driving first. I was going to take my turn next. But after a minute or so, he lost control and we went careening into a tree. My brother was fine, but me, I wasn't. I fell and my head smashed against the dashboard. I started bleeding. There was so much blood. My brother, he thought I was dead. So he jumped out of the car and ran back to the house to go tell mom and dad. In that moment, I was laying there, dazed, shocked, and then Ricky chimes in, did you have an out-of-body experience? Did you go to near death? (laughs) What did you do, Martin? (laughs) And Martin says, no, I didn't. It was then I felt two strong arms pick me up and cradle me lovingly, and I realized it was my neighbor, an elderly man, a man that I didn't know very well, but he knew me. And he was carrying me back to my parents' house. And by that time, of course, my brother had all of the time he needed to tell my parents that it was me who was driving the car and I was the one who had gotten to the accident. I had a beating coming my way and I knew it. And it was in that moment that I realized that this man was holding me and he had more love and more concern for me than my family ever would. And now it took that to find the courage to leave my family. As soon as I was old enough, I left. And Sydney chimes in and says, well, don't you talk to them? I mean, do, what's your relationship like now? Oh. No. I never talked to them. I never talked to those people. (laughs) And then he's just like, we'll begin our journey tomorrow. And I wrote, what the hell is this? (laughs) And he says, first step is to release the chains. Now rest up. Go in love. Go in love. And everybody's like getting up and Sydney's just looking into the campfire just under this mesmerization spell. And she's like... Wow, it sounded like he was talking about me. And Ricky agrees and says, yeah, we've all had the same experiences, but Martin's going to help us. Hey, by the way, you're on tea service. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is tea service? So, so that's what Sydney says. And Sydney's like, um, I don't get it. Like, I've been working all day. We've been outside. It's really hot. And then Ricky says, well, Sid, remember... 
you didn't pay $300, so you have to earn your keep. But tea service is when you serve Martin tea and food throughout the night because he barely sleeps. He's going to need his nourishment, so you need to wait on him hand and foot. And honestly, you should be grateful to be given this opportunity. And Sydney's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Oh, okay. And she's like, well, I was a waitress, so, I mean, I guess I could do this. Oh, God, poor Sid. She always, if this were a horror movie, she's the girl who's, like, walking alone in the woods, like, That you're like, Hello? don't go up the stairs, don't go up the stairs. And she, she always goes stairs. up the stairs. Yep, that's and the one. And she's been murdered. So, next up, we're back at D&D. Billy's at work. Okay, Dan. What the fuck? Even if... D&D is going through hard times. We're down to a skeleton crew. Your boss is really like breathing down your neck. Would you ever sit at your desk with your freaking feet up on your desk and just laying back playing with a rubber band? Would you ever do that? Hell no. Better question. Would you ever wear gym socks with your dress shoes? Hell no. Fuck no, Why Billy. would you do that? Oh, for two on this one. Now, Amanda walks into Billy's cubicle area, and I thought for sure we were going to have a, a little uh, tongue lashing about the way that he's just lounging back with his feet up in the air. Get to work, Billy, you little dumbass but- idiot. <laughs> What are you doing? It was the exact opposite. She comes up to him and she's like trying to extend an olive branch and is like, Hi, Billy. Um, are you still talking to me now, Billy? And he's like, uh, yeah, you're the boss, aren't you? Like, I have to talk to you. And then she's like, I could really use a friend right now. Can I take you out to a late dinner? And I don't know how in the world anybody could like... After she, the last, no. the last thing she said to Billy is to say, tell the client you're an idiot. I, I would say, I think it's best that we keep our relationship 100% professional moving forward. Yeah, I never like want to be in your presence when I'm not paid to be. Yeah, like we're not cool. I'll pay you rent. But for some reason, Billy's like, yeah. Yeah, I could use I dinner. Okay. I okay, I'll go out to dinner with you, Amanda. I lost my girlfriend and she used to cook me French stuff, so <laughs> right now I've just been on peanut butter and jelly. So and I could eat more more just peanut butter, just right out of the jar. That's yeah. all I do. I'm running out of minute made orange juice too. <laughs> and I don't watch as many movies with Allison and with popcorn and <laughs> okay, so the next scene is Amanda and Billy, and they're out to dinner at a freaking like mirror fun house. <laughs> Where this, this place had more mirrors than a barber shop. <laughs> no, it's like, and it's like it's hall like, of mirrors. <laughs> Exactly where they are. Welcome to Wacky Wayne's <laughs> Hall of Mirrors. We also serve prime rib. It's Tuesday, nineteen ninety nine. $3. Walk with your hands out so you don't bump your face into the mirrors. So they're like sitting there and there's this big expansive wall of mirrors in different angles. So you're seeing like 900 reflections of of Amanda and maybe 900 reflections of Billy. Maybe it's restaurant by night, uh, Rhonda's dance studio by uh, by day. You know, who knows? Hey, y'all. 
<laughs> so they're having this dinner and they're talking and Amanda decides that she needs to confide in a friend. And Billy is looking at the menu. He's fishing. He's fishing for whether or not Amanda's going to pay. <laughs> You think? Yeah. Like, Amanda's definitely um, paying. Should I get the flying minion? Like, well, the prime rib looks good. Because uh, if I have to pay, I'm going to get the Caesar salad. Yeah. This cost extra. <laughs> and he's so, like, it's prime ribs and all salads. So, so he's, he tells Amanda, you know, I haven't been... Well, I'm sorry. Amanda tells Billy... I haven't been feeling well. I got a CAT scan done, and I'm sick. I have Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he's like, what? You mean you mean cancer? Yeah, so... He's like, well, you can beat this. You don't have to go through this alone, you know? And she's like, Billy, I need more than just, like, upbeat, like, spunk. And he's like, still, you, you can beat this. And she's like, I need people that I can trust. I need a friend, and I need you to promise me that this talk is confidential. I cannot let this get out in the apartment building, at work. No one can know about this. I need to fight for my life now, and I can't let this jeopardize my job. And she says, oh, my God. <laughs> she says, I can, I can always count on you. <laughs> And as soon as those words were spoken, we know that in the probably in a countdown of two minutes, Billy will share this information with somebody else. Guys, never, never look at Billy and say, I can always count on you. Or say, I'm going to tell you something and you have to promise not to tell anybody. He immediately will always be like, well, sure. And then, like... Do the opposite. Yeah, like, if cell phones were in back then, like, he He'd would be already be on the phone. He'd be, like, making <laughs> a Facebook post about it. As you're saying it. And my, my other thing is, what is it about D&D that's like, I cannot lose my foothold of the president of D&D? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. The only clients are Mancini Designs, <laughs> which is half a million dollars broke. And glorious gowns. Like, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> that is it. I don't understand it. It's like, all of these people are like, I could never leave D&D. They love it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Let's head on over to Camp Disgusting, shall we? So, Sydney is bringing the master tea. <laughs> now, the one thing I loved about this scene is when Sydney enters... Like, we're not talking about it's like a large space, guys. It's a freaking, yeah. like, a standard size trailer. Maybe even smaller. Like, it's not, it's more of like the trailer that you would see on a construction site. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's usually used as an office. So, Sydney walks in with this tray full of, like, tea and, like, you know, some finger foods. And she comes in and she's, like, immediately, like, looking at the wall in which she just no. came in. And she's like... Hello, um, uh, Martin, I have your tea. Are you in here? She walks in direct eyesight of where Martin will be. Like, that's where she was. She, like, immediately walks there. And then she, she walks in facing them and then turns around, does a 180, 
and like to look at the wall. The, the, the and now she's confused. She has no idea where in she which is. She just came in, and she's like, "Are you in here?" And it's like you're in like a five by ten space. And they're I don't talking. Know. They're talking to her. Yeah. He's like over here, <laughs> and then she's like talking to the um, wall still. Where? She's like, oh, what? So do I like turn? Is this is this all of mirrors? And this is when we have the big reveal, guys. It's not just Martin there. Martin's like he—he, he, you can tell he's in the bed, like wrestling around with somebody. So, yeah. like, you see him, you see his shape, and he's like with, like you said, like with somebody romantically. Sydney gets a little bashful, and she's like, "Oh, um, I have your tea here," and then. He turns around. She's like tea time. To then show Ricky, <laughs> who is in bed Ooh. naked with Martin. But guys, not only Ricky. And she's like, I take mine with sugar. <laughs> we see Donnie, the girl that was gonna go make breakfast and was off to do her strip mm-hmm. dance. She's there too, both in the bed with Martin. And Martin's just like, this is his way of introducing Sydney to like. The nasty. And Ricky says, I'm bad. I know. I should have told you I'm actually married to Martin. (laughs) And she's like, oh, okay. Well, here's your tea. (laughs) You can tell (laughs) Sydney is super uncomfortable. She's like, why am I in here? But she questions this. She says, well, that's weird. You guys don't live together and you don't wear rings. Well, why do we have to wear rings? We don't, we're not of these modern times where we have to take ownership of one another. And Sydney's like, uh, cause the Ten Commandments. Like, cause I'm a Christian. And he said, Remember? Who said that you have to be married to one person? Uh, the Ten God. Commandments. Oh, God said that? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, for being, for being a prostitute, <laughs> drug addict, um, marrying your sister's, husband now you're a christian and care about like the uh well okay the ten commandments we don't want to be judgy oh i'm judging <laughs> that's make when no mistake i want to be judgy here. ricky reveals that she has a discreet tattoo behind her ear in the shape of an m yeah martin's like we don't need conventional signs we have our own and then ricky just like turns her neck and it's this like shitty half cursive M behind her ear <laughs> like, where some some ladies t- tend to get stars tattooed mm, there, like mm-hmm, Rihanna. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he's like, we all have M's for married and Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and Martin tells Sydney, when you rid yourself of conventional rules, you'll have lots of room for love. Dude, look at that tattoo. That tattoo is fucking Bic Pen. <laughs> that is that is the worst tattoo ever of an M. Like it's a straight up it's straight up pen. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> uh, I'm not disputing that. And so, Martin's just like he's getting like kissed on and like rubbed on, yet he like maintains eye contact with Sydney, which makes it just all the more creepier. And it's just just people just like they're like little like what do you call those fish that like suck on sharks? <laughs> I forget what they're called, but I know exactly. Like sucker fish. Like yeah. whenever you see a shark documentary, there's there's always like a shark swimming and then a bunch of other things like sucking on places. And like that's what Sydney and 
What's her name? Donnie? Donnie. Fucking Donnie. <laughs> Are like to Martin. And you know what? The le- We were talking about like how Martin kind of looks like a cartoon character. Like he really reminds me of, no, he reminds me of American Dad. <laughs> like that, that cleft chin and that really like yeah. strong jawline. It, it looks like it's not human. It looks like it's totally exaggerated. Like the proportions are so exaggerated. Like it can't be a real person's face. You know what's interesting? I just thought of this. If Martin were Allison's like druggy boyfriend, what was his name? Uh, Remember the guy with no, the rings? No, I know. Chris Angel. Chris Angel, I know. Yeah, if he was Martin, I'd believe it more that these these girls like flocked to him. He's more charismatic, yeah, than Martin. So the, Martin should be like the druggy guy who's like, "You're my party girl." <laughs> <laughs> and he should be this guy. Zach. Zach. His name was Zach. Yeah. yeah, Zach should be Martin. Yeah. I I don't I don't see the allure. I mean, we don't he hasn't had a ton of screen time to really solidify that he's as magnetic as yeah. we're led to believe. But they they offer her, her they're, they're like, "Hey, so here's what you do with your tea. This is what the tea thing is. It's like drink it, have it with us." But sit in bed with us. Yeah, and Ricky's like, there's an extra cup. Yeah, drink this, drink that tea. <laughs> and um and 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 Donnie's like, Yeah, come get in this bed and have the tea. And Sydney's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna pass. Sydney tea gives me says, a headache. Tea gives me a headache, which is always code for like a woman that doesn't want to have sex in movies. You always say, I have a headache. I have yeah. a headache. And then Martin hits her with the Go in love. He says, I don't need you anymore tonight, Sydney. You're all done for the night, girl. And then the sheets go up, and then the three of them get back to their business. Back to biz. Now we go over to the hospital. Michael is talking to Amanda about getting chemo treatment. He shows her her like uh, scans, and he's like, yep. So, again, you have cancer. But we're going to hit this thing with chemo. Let's talk about a treatment plan. We're going with chemo. Amanda has a lot of questions. During these questions, Michael gets a page and he's like, look, I've got to go off. I've got somebody in surgery. And Amanda's not having this. She's like, look, what are my chances? Like, what? How? He's like 50%. Like, it's 50% cure. It's not necessarily curable. There are treatments that might be able to lead to a cure. And Amanda wants to know if she gets chemo, what happens to her hair? It's like, I don't know. Sometimes you lose it, but there's, there's, you know. I'm worried about keeping you alive in your survival than what your cosmetic appearance is going to be. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And then she's like, hey, this is my consultation. I will not be dismissed. I couldn't care less about your other patients. And he says, you know what? If you were in surgery, you wouldn't want me sitting here frivolously talking to another patient about this kind of stuff. We can't let our friendship get in the way. I am a doctor. I'm going to go help other people. We have a plan of action for your treatment. And that's it. Okay. Bravo, Michael. Bye. That's how you deal with it. She she wants to muddle the muddy the waters and be like, we're friends. I need special treatment. Uh, I know you. You used to live in the building. Fuck off. Like, I'm a doctor. I'm at work. I can't break the rules. Not for you. Not for anybody. I treat everybody the same. Yeah. Good, good, good for Michael. 
Okay, now it's the next day, and we're back at the retreat. Yeah, and so this is when Martin starts really laying it on thick. He's like, hey, gang, now remember what I was talking about, hating your family? (laughs) There's no better thing to do than to get money from your family. So we've got, what would you say, maybe 20 to 30 people on this retreat? Mm-hmm. And they're all outside. They're sitting at these picnic tables. And he tells them that the ladder to spiritual enlightenment is the first rung is making peace with your past. So I. To make peace with your past, you got to get money from your family. You need to write a brief but firm letter asking for money. They've messed up in the past. They're going to want to make good on your relationship. And dipping into their savings account is the only way to do it. And the second rung is bringing me tea and having sex with me. (laughs) Uh, So let's do this. So they all have loose leaf out. And they're all just supposed to like... Right, right, right there. He's like, right, right like the wind. (laughs) Right well, get that money. Now, Ricky and Sydney are sitting together, and Ricky tries to break the ice to kind of acknowledge the weirdness of last night. And she was like, I'm sorry. I I probably should have told you about it. Uh, I didn't, but I didn't think you were such a prude. Yeah. I don't know about this scene. I couldn't get over the whole, like, everyone just begins writing. Yeah. So Sydney (laughs) basically explains to her that, like, look, it's your life. I'm not going to judge you and who you are. But, like, for me, it's just, like, not, it's not, like, what I want. And then Ricky accuses her of being jealous. And she's like, oh, I get it. You're jealous. He's smart. He's great looking. All the women want to be with him. I mean... I just think that maybe you should give this a second thought. And she's just like, look, I got to get back to the city and meet my PO. Like there's, I now I'm going to carry my weight. I've learned a lot and that's what I need to do. And Ricky's like, fine, you got to do what you got to do. So she hops up, walks away. And then Ricky throws a look to Martin like, we're losing her, man. <laughs> I don't know if she's going to get that M tattoo. <laughs> All right, we're fucked. She's got to get that M, and she's got to bring tea. And then she has to drink it with us. In bed. And my get sugar in mine. Okay, so we're back to D&D. Amanda is walking in, and she passes Allison and Billy's cubicle. And Allison is very, like... Confrontation. is her boss. Yeah. And Alice is like, where you been? Yeah. I And I feel like I walk this line with their relationship where I feel as though Amanda is so inappropriate toward Allison and is so um, judgmental and she like, she cannot please her in any way. Yet Allison does kind of do some stuff that's really annoying and uncalled for. Yeah. So this is one of them. So Amanda immediately rips her a new one and and then Allison is like, well, she's like, I what about the report? Well, I'm sorry. Amanda is like, you better get me that report. And she's like, yeah, been on your desk since two. 
what you're right. going to do. So we see, of course, they have friction. Amanda storms off to her office. And that is when Allison goes over to Billy and starts complaining to him and says, you know, I would quit, but if I did, D&D would just fall apart. Yeah. So and she the- feels a sense of responsibility to the company to keep it alive. Now, Billy keeps on trying to like give Amanda the benefit of the doubt and says like, you know, you should give her, cut her some slack. She's going through some stuff in her personal life. And Allison isn't buying it. She's like, she picks up on it real quick and is just like, Billy, what do you know? Tell me. And then immediately, Billy's like, oh, I don't know. I promise I wouldn't say anything. Which, like, right there, you're acknowledging <laughs> that you know something. He cannot. Yeah. He, if he, you know something, you just say, I don't know. That's all you do. He cannot tell a lie. And then it only takes like one more line of prodding where it's like, come on, tell me. Okay. Amanda's very, very sick. Like in she has cancer sick. And then Allison immediately is like, oh my gosh, all is forgiven. Should no, I apologize no. to At her? At first she's like, bullshit. Oh, that's right. She's like, she's like, oh, come on. She would say that she has cancer to get what she wants. No, no, she really does. She He's has like, it. That's where she's been going all these times. That's why she's been out of the office because she has her doctor's appointments. And he's like, so we really need to pull together and and get it get it going. And kudos to Courtney Thorne Smith here because she did well up. She welled up um, in her eyes and she's like, oh my gosh. Should I apologize? Yeah. I thought that was really um, some pretty good acting there. I didn't notice that. Yeah. She welled up a little bit and was like, I need to, I need to say I'm sorry. And then, of course, Billy is like, no, you can't tell her I told you. You've you got to keep it quiet. Yeah, you got to keep it quiet. She's seriously ill. <laughs> Jesus. So it's nighttime. This is kind of like a dark, deserted street. Yes. And we see a shot of a car coming down the road, and behind that car is a police car with sirens. Kim- and that car's getting pulled over. Kimberly's driving, and she gets pulled over. And the cop gets out. And we see the cop is John Rowlings, the same police officer who has been assigned to Matt's hate crime beating. And this is not how it goes. No. And it's what was so funny is that... They both get out of their cars together. He's like, okay, first he has like a a loudspeaker and he's like, ma'am, please exit your car. And then he comes around. Now... When we first came to the shot, it was like a deserted street. Nobody is there. And then all of a sudden, as they get out of their cars, like 10 people descend on them. Yeah, mad people roll up. It's so weird. And he's like, like, put your hands on the vehicle. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? Why are you pulling me over? So he pulls out his gun, not in police fashion, but like a gangster. And he's like waving it in the air. And it's very weird the way that he's... It's not even like like, a gangster. It's like somebody that is just so... Like, like I'm going to rob the place. Yeah. It's like he doesn't even have control over it. Like, if he were to like... He could fling the gun at any moment. And he's like, okay, get over here. Get over here. get Get on the hood of the car. So she does it. And then he grabs her slams her down 
Like, <laughs> like face down on the grass. Like in the grass by the side. And that's when like all of these people, like there's a lot of extras here. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I, it's like babe, 30 people. I, no, it's not 30, but it's, it's like six or seven people like coming around them. And he's like, get out of here guys. Like everybody scram. <laughs> and they all leave. Yeah. And, and so he, he's laying, <laughs> he straddles her, lays on top of her and then he pulls her, he like cuffs her like that. Then he pulls her back up and then and sticks a gun in her face. And then they are both on their kneeling on their knees. He gets in front of her and they're just like together. And he's up in her face saying, I know exactly who you are. You orchestrated the attack against Matt Fielding. I don't appreciate gay bashers. You better clean up your act or I'm going to make your life miserable. Right. It's just funny to think, like, this is how they're per- portraying, like, the police <laughs> today. Wow. And she, and she even, she's, like, throwing all this shit out, like, I'm a doctor at Wilshire <laughs> Memorial. <laughs> like, that is such, like, white privilege of, yeah. like, no, it's you, true. you cannot pull over a doctor For like anything. this. anything. Yeah. And she's just like, how dare you? But, I mean, to be fair, he is, like hyper aggressive with her for just a routine stop, which is what she thinks this is. Right. He has a Willem Dafoe quality about him. John Rawlings. Like a gargoyle kind of look. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a very like skeletal face. Yeah. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And so he roughs her up. He gets her a little scared and you can see that this is working. Like it looks like she is very fearful um, after, you know, he's gotten a rise out of her, he uncuffs her and is like, now go get out of here, but clean up your act. Yeah. You better clean it up, clean it up, doctor. So we head over to Wilshire Memorial. Amanda's confronted Mancini because she's been at the library doing a lot of computer searches. <laughs> <laughs> about cancer so she's found all these alternative cancer treatment programs and she wants to really delve into them because of course she doesn't want to do the chemo because she doesn't want to lose her hair and michael takes one look at the information that he's brought to her and says you know this isn't for your kind of cancer this is for breast cancer like we can't it's not the same thing but he said you know what if you really want to go down this this rabbit hole and look into alternative um, medications and like different like experimental drugs, I can lead you down that road if that's what you want. And she's like, yeah, well, I want to look into anything I can. She wants to be the boss still. So it's like she wants to, she wants to do research and she wants to give Michael a job. She's still trying to like. She's trying to hang on to this, like, I'm in control and I am the boss. But Michael right. is, he's, he, this whole entire episode is him chopping that down. It's they do a like, very great job of, of, of building this thing to yeah. break it all down. So he has to be like, look, this is bullshit. I'm the doctor. I'm going to look at it, but like, no. It's not happening. Yeah, and it's not the correct kind of medication. So she storms off, and then Kimberly comes in, and what I thought was really funny about this exchange is that Kimberly says, well, what is she doing here? And he says, sorry, can't tell you. It's doctor-patient confidentiality. And it's in stark contrast to Billy and Allison about her. Oh, yeah. You'd think 
that Michael and Kimberly would have some kind of devious plan where they would just tell each other everything because they want dirt on anybody and everybody to hold it against them. And Billy is supposed to be Kimberly's friend. I mean, um, Amanda's friend. Yet he goes against her wishes at his first opportunity to run his mouth. Yeah. And Michael Mancini, a character that has shown time and time again that he can't be trusted, is actually keeping the Being secret. trustworthy. Yes, exactly. Michael doesn't, he doesn't mess around much at work in the When field. it comes to his patients, when it comes to his actual duties at the hospital. Yeah. If it's Levin, then he messes around at work a little bit, trying to get, trying to blackmail him. With the, what was he? Captain Cowboy? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) So now we're at um, Martin Death Camp, and he is in his trailer, um, and he's talking to someone about stocks. And he's like, you sell at 12. You better dump that at 12. I told you to do it. So what we can gather here is that Martin is taking all of the money that all of the folks on a, on retreat, on previous retreats, he's taking all that money and he's putting it in the stock market to get rich. And um, so Sydney overhears this as she comes in because she's ready to tell him like, hey, I'm, I'm rolling out. I'm, okay. I'm, we're done here. Right. Now... Martin tries to make light of this conversation. He's like, oh, stockbrokers, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, if they were, they'd be millionaires, right? <laughs> yeah. Like making a joke out of it. And then Sydney says, you know, Martin, I've gained a lot. I'm going to carry my own weight and I really got to get back to LA. You know, I, I mean, I got to see my PO officer. Like I, I, I got to. I got to go. It's been real. Martin's like, well, you know, we want you to stay, but you're free to go. But I got to tell you, man, I've only got one of these fucked up buses and it doesn't get here till next week. And didn't they say that they were going away for a couple of days? Yeah. I was thinking two to three days, but we learned it's going to be a whole other week. She's already been there for at least two days. Yeah. And uh, Sydney's just like, well, that's okay. I don't really need to wait for your disgusting bus. <laughs> I'm going to walk out to the highway and just try to hitch a ride. Like, think about that. That yeah. is a better option than being at that camp. She would <laughs> rather being on that bus. hike through the desert to try to get to a highway where she could take her chances with serial killers. Mm-hmm. She'd rather do that than hang out with these people. So again, Martin's just like, all right, go in love. And she rolls out. Then we have a, what I can only assume is a commercial break. And we come back and it's like early morning and Sydney is hailing down this truck that's rolling along. She thinks it's a, it's a ride that she can hitch back to town. But guess what? The door opens, and it's Martin and Ricky, and they have two henchmen that are in the back of the pickup truck who jump out, grab Sydney by the arm, and they strong arm her back into the truck. And they're like, oh, we missed you, Sydney. We were worried about you. Time to go back to the camp. And you can hear Sydney on the VO like, what are you doing? Stop it, please. What's going on? 
So she's headed back to camp, probably going to be punished. Now, we're with Matt, who's ordering a coffee at some some coffee stand. and It's the weirdest coffee stand in the history of the world because the person who is giving Matt the coffee has a full-on baker's hat on. Well, that makes sense to me. Does it? Yeah, a lot of bakeries serve coffee. But do they wear full baker hats like freaking Dunkin' Donut Munchkins? Remember the Munchkins box? Yeah. Remember the little, the little guys on there with the big donut, big chef hat? I don't know. I guess it, it, that didn't strike me as odd. But what did strike me Fair as enough. odd is that John, the police officer, just like rolls up and is just like, yeah, give me a coffee too. And just like piggybacks on Matt's order and just starts talking to Matt and says, yeah, I just wanted you to know. I took care of that Kimberly Shaw problem that you were having. Yeah, put a gun in her face and told her back up. She's not going to bother you anymore, okay? And so Matt is horrified to hear this and is like, "Um, excuse, what did you do?" Like, He's like she's certifiable. Like, like she, she could is murder me. Crazy. Oh no, Matt, I set her straight, okay? And then Matt just looks at him and is like, "This is police harassment." And I'm very concerned that you did this. He's like, come on, don't worry about it. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those macho cop guys. And he's like, but look, if you want me to back off, just say the word. And Matt says, back off. Yeah, I'm saying the word. Don't mess. And it's like, and that's, you did exactly what a macho cop guy would do. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to, you don't want to shake the tree. You know what? You know what we didn't talk about? I don't, wouldn't Kimberly tell michael like hey i got pulled over last night and like thrown on the ground and a cop put a gun in my face but you have to ask yourself did kimberly tell michael about his about her plan to have matt beaten up Mm. because i think that those two go hand in hand because if she told him about the whole cop thing she'd have to fess up to having matt beat up and did she share that we don't know. You're right. So next up, we are back at D&D. Amanda's taking a little snooze on the couch. She's been really overworking herself. Her skirt's up real high. <laughs> you can almost see a little cooter. <laughs> <laughs> it's high. It's so high up. Okay. I didn't catch that. Hey, I'm crotch patrol. I know. You're on crotch patrol. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's a knock at the door, and it's Michael. Carrying a, a teddy bear. With a little teddy bear. So Michael, I think, has come to make amends. He's been kind of short with her. He's been he's been a little coarse with her about her treatment. And he recognizes that she doesn't really have a lot of people in her life. So he's come to her office with the teddy bear to let her know that, hey, you know, this diagnosis isn't necessarily a death sentence. And you need to look for look to others for comfort. And he's like, I'm here to help you get well. And it, and like by all means I'm going to do that, but I need you on my team. You can't be fighting me every which way on what the what the what the process is. And then in, in return, Amanda is like, Well look, you know you know me. I like to work. Work is my thing. So if you're going to be doing the doctory stuff, it needs to be worked around my work schedule. So they sort of come to an agreement. 
and you know there, there's a, there's give and take there's give and take and but they're now on the same page this whole episode was a struggle between these two of how to how to coexist mm-hmm. how to work together on the, this issue and they've come to an agreement right and yeah that's it now we go to the hospital uh matt gets on the elevator but not before kimberly just boop stops that thing and gets on so matt kind of is like i roll and he's like oh hey kimberly i heard you had some trouble with the police last night so funny yeah and, and then it's another classic like matt versus kimberly scene which is just so fantastic yeah and kimberly's like look i'm gonna get you for that matt and he's like oh i don't know if you should because the police are on your tail so you should be careful so she kind of like and she's like, like you want to have a you want to have a truce and he's, and he's like, like i don't know and then she's like well next time you want to date a man in uniform you should go for the mailman <laughs> And they they both, like... They have, like, a little laugh together about it. Yeah, it's so interesting that they're both, like, they don't want to resolve it, but they they do. Like, they don't, because they don't want violence toward one another, but at the same time, they, like, both want to be right. But I'm just kind of like, the damage has been done. She changed her, her stuff. He knows about it. Whatever. Let it go. I think it's probably best to just coexist with one another and just chalk it up to that was weird. Yeah, they <laughs> I don't know. They both know that they're each capable of like doing some dastardly deeds. Yeah. So that takes us to the last scene of the episode. It's now night. Sydney is back at the camp. And now there are a lot of people involved in this. Yeah. There's like probably six or seven people restraining her and dragging her out to this area. It's very reminiscent of Joe in the in the boat. Yeah. The That's compartment. What I wrote. It's a wooden door that opens up to a small compartment underground it's like kind of like a cellar almost it's like a tornado shelter and they throw her in there and it's very small i mean she can hardly sit up straight in there she couldn't stand Mm -mm. and i don't even think she can stretch out her legs all the way like it's almost like a trunk underground yeah so they lock her in there and they're like you need to you need to sort it out and we hear sydney screaming help 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 and she's screaming into like the credits. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know, which I don't know has ever happened. But like it's black credits, like directed by blah blah blah. And, and you're hearing you're hearing Sydney. Help! Help me! <laughs> and then that's it, guys. That's what we got. End of the app. I mean, it's it's really windy when they're sticking her in there. It is like this is bad like people have died in there i bet yeah easily you I know mean, what else they're in the desert you know what else they did in there i bet people poop and pee <laughs> themselves in there oh i think that happened a lot oh my god several <laughs> times okay let's let's move on uh let's recap what happened amanda struggles with cancer Sydney goes on a retreat and is now held prisoner. 
Matt and Kimberly go back and forth fighting with each other. Ricky's actually married to Martin and has threesomes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Michael and Amanda finally get on the same page to fight cancer. Amanda tells Billy about her cancer and he immediately spills the beans to Allison. John Rawlings, the cop, scares Kimberly into leaving Matt alone. And of course, Sid is thrown and locked into a hole in the ground. (laughs) This was a good episode. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really, I, I liked it. It was fun, but it was also serious. There was action. And there's suspense. Yeah. So, 90s moments. What you got, yo? Asking somebody, what part of the Sunday paper do you read first? Hmm. Um, when we had the in-locker shot, mm. there was a very clear shot of that snack machine. Oh. Holy hell, it was a 90s What's snack machine. What's in there? Little Dunkaroos? <laughs> Not Dunkaroos. That's very 90s to me. Like, for children, that wouldn't be in, like, a hospital <laughs> snack machine. Oh, uh, 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 hey, Sid, can you, uh, can you give me the Dunkaroos? The chocolate kind, please. Yeah. I want the one with the vanilla frosting. Okay. So, um, I we had both Billy and Matt rocking denim shirts with ties. <laughs> I got Amanda playing her messages. That's a good one. We already addressed this, but the athletic socks with dress shoes, I don't know how 90s that was, but... That's just terrible. (laughs) That is just terrible. There was a, I think Allison declared Amanda's working style as like Saddam Hussein. Oh, she did? Yeah. I didn't hear that. She was like, she "She runs her business like Saddam Hussein. Oh. So that's a big, big desert storm reference. Amanda's all tweed suit. Ooh, yeah. And a computer search at the library. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, I think the whole exchange with the arrest of Kimberly, all of those people are there. And in today's world, as soon as a police officer is on the scene, there are 10 onlookers with their cell phones up recording exactly what's happening. Yeah, that's a good In this world, the cop says, get out of here. All six or seven people. I'm allowed. Scram. Goodbye. They're they're out of there. They they don't care. But today they would they would just film. Of course. They'd be swarming it. And then of course we had that shot of the runner and she had on a, a Walkman with the old school headphones. The Walkman. Walkman. Um Martin's bus. I don't know how nineties that is. It's but. something. It's a moment. Yeah. It deserves acknowledgement. <laughs> well, you've given it a lot of acknowledgement this episode. Rename Martin's Bus. Something tells me <laughs> this is not gonna be the end of Martin's Bus. No. No. Uh, got any more? Um, no. No, I'm good. So Dan, what lesson did you learn from this episode? I gotta recycle a lesson from many I'm recycling many, one too, and I think it's the same one. Many episodes passed. What is it? If you have something important to keep, don't, don't tell, tell Billy. Billy. <laughs> I have that one too. <laughs> I think that's like the clear cut thing. This show could be called Don't Tell Billy. I mean, <laughs> even beyond joining a cult, even beyond like trying to deny you have cancer. 
don't tell Billy your secrets is the one thing that sticks out to me like a sore thumb. He's never not kept a secret in three seasons. That's all he does. All he does is blow secrets. Don't tell that man anything. Well, we're in agreement. It's Billy all the way. Billy all the way. That brings us to... Bitch of the Week! I'm a boss-ass bitch, 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 bitch. I'm a boss-ass bitch. Last week, Jenny, you said that Ricky was the bitch. Yes, I am. I said that Kimberly was the bitch. And... With Facebook, we have a tie. Oh, really? But when you bring Twitter into it, Kimberly is the bitch of the week. Wow, okay. Bingo. So let's hear what you guys had to say about that. And I do apologize. I did put bitch of the week up on Instagram. But with Instagram, the poll is only around for 24 hours. And if I don't share those results of the poll... Then it's gone. It's gone forever. So I do not I don't know who won the Instagram bitch of the week poll. So I could not factor in those results to my calculations. So Donald, you say, okay, this is a very difficult decision. Kimberly is gonna get worse as season three continues. And Ricky, well, I don't know about her, but I have to go with Kimberly this week. Nice. Because I don't like gay bullying. I think Kimberly and the Melrose Place writers went a little too far with this storyline. And Kimberly targeting Matt, knowing that the worst possible thing she could do to him was have him beat up because he is gay and basically have him inca- incapacitated so she can change the results of the test. I think she hired the two men to beat him up so she could change the results of the test herself. Can't wait for next week. You guys are awesome, too. Thanks for the shout-out. Of course. Zach says, as promised, my vote is going to Ricky. Woo! I know Dan mentioned that she is an agent of Martin and not fully culpable. And I spoke of how Caitlin and Emily were also following orders a few weeks back. But Ricky just takes way too much pleasure in fucking with these people. Yeah. And she wrecked shooters. <laughs> Only a bitch who does that to something she referred to as a cool place. Only a bitch would do that to something she referred to as a cool place. And she just casually watches the fallout as she's eating all of Sydney's praline ice cream. The only thing that would make Ricky an even bigger bitch right now is if she wore a Martin Abbott turtleneck. (laughs) And I think she just might in the coming episodes. Oh, can't wait. Kevin says, I have to vote Ricky this week. First of all, I remember the time I saw this episode 20 years ago when it aired on E! And I will never forget the scene when Ricky goes on a rampage and completely destroys shooters. I mean, it's the only bar in town! So that alone should earn this terrible, poor, poorly acted, expressionless character the bitch of the week. Where are these people supposed to drink now? As for Kimberly, she was a total bitch, but I just love her so much in this episode that I can't vote for her. Every time I watch that scene when she startles him in the hospital room, oh, it's I the just best. crack 
<laughs> the best. I really love the Matt Kimberly dynamic, and thankfully there's more of that to come. Alyssa says, gotta go with Kimberly, and you guys ain't seen nothing yet. She will be the bitch of the week for weeks to come. Yes. Spencer says, I have to go with Ricky, firstly because of her bad bitchy acting, and secondly because she is just too damn happy to carry out Martin Martin's orders. Also, Ricky messed with Jane, and that is the biggest bitch move. Jane will throw you in the pool, you bitch. Damn. <laughs> Jane will throw you in the pool. She's done it before. I love Jane. I know. Well, thanks, guys, so much for your feedback. Dan, since you are the winner, it is your turn to tell us who your bitch of the week Mm -hmm. is. My bitch of the week is Amanda Woodward. (laughs) Amanda. All right. Here's why. I, I get it. She has cancer, okay? I totally get that, and I sympathize. But just because you have cancer... That does not give you the right to shit all over every single person you come in contact with. She is a raging bitch throughout this episode. It begins with her raging bitchiness. She is such a bitch to Michael. She kicks him out of like, you don't how do you talk to people like that? Leave leave the way you came, rude. What the fuck? Like, look. It's your Asperger's theory. Yeah, what are you doing, girl? So then then she yells at Jake. She's like, you're going to get oil all over the pool. <laughs> it's like, hey, um, you see this wrench in my hand? I'm putting on the seat. This isn't a big deal. Then, I already said this before, but she, Joe is not a mother anymore. She gave up her child, yet she still throws that mother hen shade at her, which is totally fucked up and unwarranted. Then she immediately goes upstairs and calls a doctor after hours. That's a fucking bitchy thing to do. It's late, all right? Yes, he said you could call back, but still, it's very late. You're you're a bitch for that. Then, do you remember Billy not only set up a meeting, he, he, he got clearance from her secretary or whatever, and then... All Billy is asking is like, okay, I understand you're not going to make the meeting. What should I tell the, the person that, we're gonna, that you're going to miss the meeting? Tell them you're an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? These are your employees. Billy's like your right-hand man. Not to mention, I've said this before many times, Billy was damn near the father of your child. <laughs> like... Wow, you lived with him. You lived with this man. (laughs) All right. So she calls Billy an idiot. Then she shits all over Allison again. We don't have to go into that, but just totally bitch move. She goes to get this CAT scan with Michael, wastes his time, then all but fist fights him in the room. Then she's a bitch to the poor lady who's telling her how to do the CAT scan. Just complete (laughs) bitch. She's like, so what do I do? Uh, how does this how does this work she's like how would you like it to work she's like the fastest way the fucking fastest you hear me she is just a complete bitch to everyone and you know what she didn't say it but i was waiting for it like the second the second someone calls her out for being a bitch i'm sure she had one in the holster to be like i've got cancer all right and then the the bitchiest thing she does 
that I fucking can't stand is when someone is mean to you and then the next day comes back around mm-hmm. and tries to be all fucking sweet. That is core to the core of being a bitch. You know why? Because you're laying it on extra thick because you know that you were being a bitch. Amanda Woodward, cancer, yes. Sympathize with you, yes. Bitch, 100%. Dan, that was very passionate. and I got to lay it on thick, guys. You know, I almost would agree with you. However, there is a character called Detective John Rawlings. (laughs) (laughs) I have to argue, takes the title this week. Okay, first let's begin at his first scene of this episode. He and Matt are out to lunch to presumably talk about the case. However, he wants to make it into a date. (laughs) Now, that is the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen. Matt has just been beat up within an inch of his life. He wants to find the people that are responsible for this. And this guy's talking about, oh, tell me about what your favorite section of the paper is. <laughs> Bitch, I don't want to know. I don't want to tell you about the section of the paper that I like. Can you find, get the people that beat me up? That's what I want to talk about. And then when he tells him that he's not interested in a relationship, he doesn't even respond. He just like looks off angrily. Like he wants to break somebody's neck. That's scary. Not let alone bitchy. Not cool. The other thing is he takes it upon himself to then take the law into his own hands and rough up Kimberly. Um, hello, you're a police officer. (laughs) You're allowed to like, do an investigation and actually arrest her. She did break the law. If you actually looked into her as a suspect, you may find easily that she did orchestrate this and you could have hardcore facts on that, but he doesn't without Matt's blessing or even request. He decides he's going to go after Kimberly because he doesn't like gay bashing Okay, I get that. I don't like gay bashing either. But he's just going off of a hunch of what Matt says. What if Kimberly's completely innocent? (laughs) And he's doing that, you know? What if the people that are around saw him and filed a complaint? I mean, there's all of these things that could happen that just don't really add up. And then Matt goes to order a coffee and he's just there. (laughs) (laughs) guys he's stalking matt he is stalking matt how does he know matt's there and then he just jumps in on his coffee order yeah make that too double it yeah it's like (laughs) excuse me (laughs) like put yourself in matt's shoes there here you just got beaten up here's a guy from the police department that's supposed to be looking into it for you and instead he's romantically pursuing you and like stalking you that is scary and bitchy and (laughs) i don't know (laughs) for those reasons john rawlings is taking my vote this week all right facebook twitter and now instagram you can vote for our bitch of the week just get in our facebook group the link to that is in our show notes of every single episode or you can just search for 
the Melrose Place Podcast Facebook group and get in there. So vote. Now, this episode is called Boxing Sydney for what we now know is because they put her ass in a box. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, oh, I get it. She went in a box. Yeah, they boxed her. But so much more happened. Again, lazy. All right. Well, what would you rename it? I'm renaming this one Tug of War. Oh. There were several of them. B- Matt and Kimberly, Michael, Amanda, and Sydney and Crazy Colt. Mm. This is a big tug of war. Good stuff. Mine is Unlawful Abductions. Ooh. So, because we have freaking John falsely imprisoning Kimberly. That I mean, that's what it's called. You're like holding somebody against their will without any cause to do so. And then, of course, you know, the cult right. imprisoning Kimberly. That <laughs> like cult, man. I remember the cult hmm. from from our Melrosing back in uh I vaguely do, but really not enough to know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do remember this was, this was one of the pieces of the puzzle where I was like, when I... When, when I before we started this podcast, I would talk to people about Melrose Place and be like, oh, yeah, Sydney joined a cult. It was crazy. It was like one of your go-tos. Yeah. To like, say how crazy it was. I'm, and I got to say, three seasons in, I'm running out of those things. I don't, have, yeah. I don't have much more I remember. The only thing is the lobotomy. That a lobotomy happened. I, but I don't, and I don't even know if we even, I don't think we saw that. It's just something that your sister would talk about mm-hmm, all the time mm-hmm. to be like, and the lobotomy. And I don't yeah. even know clearly who gets a lobotomy or if that happens or what. And I, I vaguely remember Allison like going to Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how she gets what? there. Because like, guys, we used to watch this shit like. We would go to the bar. And then we would put it like on to go hammered. to sleep. Yeah, we'd throw it on to sleep and we'd just like, it would just run. For so like, like four episodes and be like, well, I guess we're on episode nine now. And yeah. we just miss a lot of it. But I, I remember like waking up and like <laughs> Allison just like a new, new position in like Hong Kong. Okay, well, can't wait to get there. Yeah, so uh, that happens, so- I think. What other predictions do you have based on this episode? Um, I think that Amanda and Michael are 100% hooking yeah, up. Yeah, me too. That's my first thing. Yeah. I think Matt and Kimberly are going to have, it's going to come to a boil mm. and something is going to, something's going to blow up on them. Um, I think Billy will spill the beans more, like it's going to come back around. Mm-hmm. And Amanda's going to be like, Billy, how could you? How could you tell the first person who asked <laughs> that I have cancer? And um, Amanda will go apeshit on him. Maybe fire him. Mm. That'd be cool. Uh, and I think Jake and Jane are going to team up and save Sydney from the sex cult. Mm. I agree with you and uh, a lot uh, about a lot of your predictions, but I will say I think Kimberly and Matt is squashed. You think it's done? I kind of feel like like they're like going to chalk it up to, okay, I change records, you change records. We're even. Bye. It's a truce. Like, I'm thinking that that's what's going to happen. I think that Sydney maybe wrote a letter 
and it's going to be mailed back to the family. And then that's going to kind of give, give them the evidence as to where she is. Like they might see like a postmark and I think someone's got to come rescue her and that's how they're going to find out like where, where they are. She didn't tell anybody. What's funny is that like really they're, they're in LA and she's like 20 minutes north. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going on a vacation. Yeah. Well, if the traffic's bad, it can be an hour and a half. So think about that. Yeah. Uh, And then I agree, of course, Amanda and Michael are going to get together. Um, That's definitely going to happen. And of course, the whole Amanda having cancer rumor is going to go through everything and it's going to be traced back to Billy and I just feel like we're going to have more Jake storylines. Like we haven't really yeah. focused in on something just unique to Jake. It's always Jake kind of coming to somebody's aid. So uh, I don't know, maybe a new romantic interest. Yeah. The last big Jake storyline was him getting shooters. Yeah. So That's I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Cool. Um, we got some reviews. Thanks to Amanda for hooking us up with those reviews because apparently um, since we're in the U.S., we can't see any international reviews, which is stupid. (laughs) But thanks to Amanda, she sent them to us. So the first one comes from The Pepperoni Prince entitled Amazing Concept. I'm a massive fan of this concept and this podcast. Keep it up, guys. Thanks, Pepperoni Prince. I know you posted that a year ago. Yeah. But we're just seeing it now, and we really appreciate your support. Yeah, thanks so much. And then we have one from Amanda herself called Love This Show. I love Melrose Place, the -the over-the-top, ridiculous, amazing, entertaining show that it is. Jenny and Dan do it justice. They are so fun to listen to, and I enjoy their recaps and insight, and I cannot wait until they start to get into the juicy episodes and story arcs to see what they have to say about it. Do yourself a favor and give it a listen if you love Melrose Place, soapy drama, and 90s nostalgia. I seriously want to start watching this show again. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda, we love you so much. Thank you for doing that and saying that. And then uh, Graham, he writes to us and says, as a huge fan of Melrose Place for 25 plus years, I am just so glad that I found this podcast, which is so such a brilliant way to relive all those classic Melrose Place characters, plot lines, and put downs. Mm-hmm. Dan and Jenny are obviously having a ball watching, dissecting, and celebrating the show decades after it first aired, which makes their podcast both super nostalgic and also super entertaining. I adore hearing their reactions to crazy plot points that I've obsessed about for years, which proves that the show still has the power to shock. You'll also laugh often throughout each episode, especially at their brilliant character impressions. Thank you. Even if you haven't watched Melrose Place before, this is an ideal way to get on board and start enjoying the amazing show. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Dan. You're You're welcome, welcome. Graham. 
You're Thank absolutely you for welcome. saying so. And guys, again, like if you, writing those reviews too about us can really help to get us on the map and get other listeners aware of what we're doing. And we really appreciate that support. And it keeps us going. It's an energy boost to continue onward. Uh, in our Facebook group, we had a couple posts that I want to shout out. Uh, Eric posted, uh, you know, giving whatever Matt's age was in season one, he really had a small window to somehow get two different master's degrees in between him, in between him being an undergrad and season one of the show. Interesting. That's a lot. That is a lot. Maybe he's like Doogie Hauser situation. Like he graduated super early. He just gets it done. Yeah, I don't know. But then, and with those two master's degrees, he decided to be a... Hospital like, administrator? No, boys home. He, he was like a group, uh, what do you call it? Like for for He wanted for to get troubled back, kids. Dan. He wanted to get back. But he had all of that stuff for... To, to do this job that he just got. And guess what? We also had a Terry sighting. <laughs> Alyssa, you found Terry in Seinfeld of oh, all God. places. We have an awesome screenshot of Terry and Elaine. And it looks like Elaine is very scared. If he's anything like... She should be. Terry Oaks. Um, Terry's about to get handsy. <laughs> Terry's about to get real handsy. Um, so that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Melrose Pod. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can email us, melrosepod at gmail.com. And you can contribute to the podcast by going to patreon.com slash melrosepod and get them bonus eps. So thank you all. And go in love. (laughs) We love smut. And we love you.